Welcome to the Fitness Canner Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Feigl. I'll be bringing you the truth about exercise by interviewing fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, as well as fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders. Hopefully you take this info and apply it to have a better, healthier, and happier lifestyle. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another episode of Fitness Candor Podcast number 41. I am joined today with Mr. Derek Hansen. He is um, in Canada, actually, so this is, I think, my second person internationally, so that's fantastic. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's great. So Derek works with some top performers uh, as a coach and a consultant with uh, Olympic medalist, world record holders, as well as Canadian national team athletes and a slew of other people. But he specializes in what we're going to talk about today in speed training as it applies to uh, track and field. So we're going to kind of dive into that, how he uses that with the people he works with, but also how the general public can take it and and put it into use for weight loss purposes or performance pur- purposes, as well as how to protect from injury while performing uh, sprinting and, and cardio type exercises. So Derek, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate the, the time. Well, thanks for having me on, Eric. It's uh, it's great to to speak to a broad audience too. I'm, I'm sometimes speaking just to sports performance coaches. Um, so this is this is nice, refreshing for me. Uh, I just wanted to ask, it's called the Candor Podcast. Can, does that mean I can speak freely about anything? 110% it does. So awesome. No, no matter what, just if it's the truth, then speak it. <laughs> okay. But uh, I think it. You brought up a good point. You know, speaking to a broader audience because that's kind of what I do. You know, the general public is probably who mostly listens to this. I do have strength training uh, coaches and athletes also, but I think it's important because I like to see things from the other side. You know, because I don't deal with athletes all the time, but I love hearing about the other side and who's working with them and how they're performing. So that's really intriguing to me. So I think people listening to this are going to take a lot away from you. Um, tell everybody a little more about yourself, what I didn't, what I didn't hit on. Uh, well, I mean, I did start, uh, as a track and field athlete in, you know, obviously high school, college, and, uh, even beyond. And so that was a good experience for me. And, and this idea that when you're working in track and field, everything is measurable. So you have, you know, you do a race or you do a jump. I, I did long jump and triple jump. And in practice, you're constantly evaluated. So you get to see a result right away. Like, oh, I jumped this far. or I ran this fast. And so it, it does have an impact on, on how you do your training. Because if you don't see a result, uh, it's staring you right in the face and you have to adapt and change things. So that was that was a very good background for me to start in. Even though I played team sports like basketball, soccer, and 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 such, uh, it made me constantly think about: Am I getting better? Really, in in a measurable fashion. And so, uh, I ended up training uh, track athletes, coaching track athletes at the collegiate level, and and again beyond at international level. And that's still something that interests me. Um, however, I did work as a strength and conditioning coach for other teams. Um, now I'm doing more consulting work for pro teams and, and Division I NCAA teams. So it's, it's interesting how I've brought that philosophy along with me in terms of, okay, are we improving? Is it measurable? Um, am I getting good bang for my buck? And I think that was a very good place for me to start. Not that everybody isn't doing that, but right. I was acutely aware of it at, at any given time in a workout. And that's what I try to pass on to my athletes, this idea that we, we have to get better. I mean, and you're not going to, you know, be a superhero every workout, but right. you know, the, the gross average has to be that, yes, we are getting better at, at each periodic time when we look and evaluate, oh, look, we're getting better. And if we aren't getting better, let's really review what we've done and see why not. So we can correct, we can rectify that issue. Yeah, that makes total sense because I, even with my clients, they'll come in and they'll have four weeks of of workouts twice a week that are outstanding and everything's hitting on all levels. 
and then they hit that one workout and it's even disheartening for them. But I try to explain, hey, a range of things could have been happening. You got to take a look at your food, your sleep, mental stress, where you, where you, you know, where are you focusing all your energy? It's not necessarily like you're degressing in the workout, but it's, you're not making a ton of progress either, but it doesn't all happen in one, one or two workouts. You have to, are you progressing over the long period? Right. I mean, there's got to be a goal in mind to make sure that you're uh, obviously being safe, but still making that progression. But it's not going to happen all at once. It's a long progression over weeks and weeks and weeks of training and how that makes you look, feel and perform along the way. Um, So how do you implement all of those strategies when you're actually working one on one with an athlete or with a group of athletes? Um, I mean, a lot, I mean, I'll, I'll say it right in front. A lot of it has to do with experience and what has worked before. Having said that, um, you know, you know, as well as I do, Eric, we can't really rest on what we did in the past. We have to obviously be proactive and make sure things are moving forward. And, and that's the fine line. I think that you and I walk is we know what has worked in the past, but that doesn't mean we're not receptive to maybe trying something different if it changes uh, or move somebody forward. And that's, that's kind of the mindset you, I think I have. Mm-hmm. So when I start working with uh, an individual or a group of individual or a group of individuals, I, I'm acutely aware that, okay, let's go back and do some things that are fundamental, uh, whether, and a lot of those things are technical. Like that's where I usually start is let's make sure everything looks technically correct. And then we can add load or velocity or, or whatever other parameter you want to add uh, duration and just make sure those qualities are are retained and particularly when we're working with speed and running mechanics if we don't have a good foundation of technique in place then as we go faster or we load more um things start to fall apart really quickly just just like any exercise uh, that involves loading or velocity so that's i think that's the most important thing is we set goals for ourselves and expectations for ourselves from a very qualitative point of view from a biomechanical point of view and I know a lot of people say that, but, you know, do you kind of put your money where your mouth is and do you make sure that that's retained through your progression, through, you know, the weeks of training? Because sometimes people say that and start with it and do all the technical stuff and then they just load and everything falls apart, but they don't step in to correct it. Um, and that's that's a big thing for me. I, I have no uh, reservations about moving a few steps back to correct something and, and get us back online, you know. Yeah. That that's a big thing for me is, and watching other coaches, and I've I've been brought in in scenarios where I have to observe other coaches uh, in programs, and then provide, you know, sensitive feedback. You know, without saying, hey, you guys are just letting this fall off the rails. But have you considered this? Have you looked at this? And and that's why something like video is very important in a performance setting, but also in a, a general population setting, like showing somebody that look, technically you have improved. Or technically, you have de- regressed. Um, and if you show them video, it doesn't become personal. It's not like you're telling them, "Wow, you suck today." It's like, "Hey, there's some things I saw in the video. Want to watch it together?" And then they can see where things have fallen apart, and then it, together you can kind of work on it. So, I mean, that's that's really the approach I have across the board. Whether it's you know somebody who's trying to break a world record or get a gold medal, or somebody who's trying to get ready for their uh, you know their high school reunion and you know they're going to play a little touch football or something right it's not that you have to give up on your entire program but you take a step back and reassess because just because the whole thing isn't working doesn't mean you can't change something in 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 the middle or tweak it i think a lot of people like to break the whole thing you know if something's not working to their expectations they just like to drop the entire thing start from scratch and then they start looking at other things that uh, other people have been doing and they kind of get sidetracked with all of the, all of the flash and flare of somebody that they maybe might be following, or maybe they've had too much flash and flare, and all you have to do is dial back on the basics. How much? Yeah, you, how much absolutely. your time is spent with just the basics? I mean, I'd like to say a hundred percent, but you know, we're human and we're dealing with uh, other human beings, and there's always going to be a bit of. You know, you have to you have to make it fun. You have to make it different. Mm-hmm. You have to add something, uh, you know, some variety to some degree. But like right. you said, that doesn't mean throwing out good things that have been working. It just means modifying things slightly, 
And like I, I always tell people, like they, like you said, they want to throw everything out. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, how do you know what is working? And that's why I treat, try to keep all the variables, you know, limited, and and then we can monitor things better. So if you have twenty exercises, it's really hard to know what's working for you. If you pick four or five key exercises that you're changing loads, velocities, whatever, then it's easier to kind of control things. It's like if you put somebody on ten supplements at once. How do you know which one is working? Like you try one, you know, see how they feel, how, you know, how they're recovering. Maybe you try another one. But I I really approach the training the same way in terms of what is working for us. If we change something very slightly, what is the impact? Um, And and even if somebody comes to me from a previous trainer, trainer or training program, I'm very careful to look at their training history and go, okay, well, this is what you've done in the past, rather than throwing it out completely, regardless of how egregious it may be. <laughs> I mean, you have to be very careful to transition somebody smoothly and make minor adjustments and then bring them around eventually to how you want to do things. But you can't just throw everything out and go, we're starting from scratch, because that's history that's useful to you, in my opinion, in terms of you know guiding them for the future. Yeah, because then you're looking at different movement patterns, what you have to correct inside that. Not only the exercises, if you don't agree with someone doing like a, a hang clean, okay, got it. But do they have proper movement, movement mechanics just to do a, an upright row? So yeah. it's things like that that you have to build on, absolutely. Uh, let's take a little, a little verge into you know, going away from the athlete, but take a little dive into the private sector. So if you're dealing with... Um, someone who's never really exercised that much and they want to get into, let's just say if you're going into basic strength training, you want to add cardio into it. What, what's some of the first steps that you take with people? Um, well, you know what? I, I always liken, uh, somebody who's never trained before to, uh, rehab. So, uh, and I, I'll present this to rehab people too. I'll say, look, you know, Everybody wants to coddle people in rehab, and 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 I think that's a real issue, even at the highest levels. And the same thing could be said of of the the novice exercise person. But you really have to determine what they can do, um, and then kind of start from there. And what will not set them back, what will not hurt them. But there's a lot of things that people can do without um, really having any setbacks. You know, they might be sore, and this is something you monitor. But with a new person, if I'm starting them off in in weightlifting, like I I, I had a, a big internship class where I was talking to people, I said, okay, and some of them were fitness fitness uh, professionals. I said, well, what do you usually start people with? And they came up with the requisite, like, well, three sets of ten, and 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 you know, we we start with a very light weight, and I'm like, okay, that's that's interesting. Like that's kind of the default position, like you know three sets of 10 and start with walking and then move to running. And and I understand the reasons that people do that. I'm a little different. Like I would rather load them a little more, use less repetitions and see what I'm dealing with. Like, okay, so, because a lot of these things will come out as part of that process when you load them a bit more. And we have to give people some more credit, you know, like if you, if you baby people too much, the adaptations you get will be little to none, right? So, Uh, you ha- and again, this comes with experience. How much do you load somebody who's coming off ACL surgery or hamstring pull? And I have experience with that. But it, uh, you have to have the confidence to work with a beginner and say, okay, they could, you know, and it's not something crazy, but they can do, you know, a little easy acceleration if you're treating, cha- uh, starting with sprint training, or they can do uh, a marching high knee, skipping high knees, running high knees. And things that are relatively safe, but you're going to get some value out of it and you're going to get an assessment out of it as well to figure out, okay, this is where you are. This is what you can do. Um, and, and it is a balancing act of not forcing them to do too much too quickly. But I, I've always been a proponent of you can add intensity. It's, it's how much volume that you add in that's going to be the determinant of whether or not you break somebody. Yeah. So I can get somebody to do a couple of reps and it's not a problem great, you know, you can do a couple of reps. But if I do uh, a lot of reps at a load that they can't handle, then that's when things break down. So don't be afraid to make somebody do something, you know, if, if, if you're lifting a weight or you're getting somebody to do like an acceleration or, or some other movement, um, don't be afraid to test them a bit. 
I mean, that's that's the whole point of discovering where we can move beyond that point. Um, so that's 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 kind of my approach is this idea that you know, I mean, some people use the word anti-fragile, where if you don't challenge people, you really don't know. You know, they won't they won't improve. So you have to take this anti-fragile approach of of pushing them in very discrete amounts so that you can assess, come back and go, okay, now I know where we can go with this training. But if you start everybody from the same, you know, sub-maximal, low-end baseline, it doesn't give you information because you get the same feedback back. Everybody can do three sets. Well, unless they're totally out of shape and they, they can't, you know, they can't even get up from a chair, then that's a different scenario. But everybody can typically do low low intensity high volume stuff for, for the most part and so that doesn't give me information you know on, on where i can move people forward now i i'm again from a different point of view i'm always working on mo- moving people faster and getting people to jump higher and those types of things but i think it applies across the board with everybody you know yeah i do i agree too there's um I mean that's basically that's why people do tests to begin with. This is mm-hmm. what works for the the vast majorities, and that's why you know it's all in the textbooks. And then when you actually put that into practice, then you know where you can dial back or push harder with people. So you touched on it a little bit with uh, sprinting being one of the things that you really focus on uh, that you're very good at. So if somebody is obviously you're not going to you know put a beginner on a treadmill and just say sprint like hell, right? I mean that's <laughs> so you back off and you you teach them mechanics and proper ways to to use. Uh, running or cardio for uh, their purposes. Walk us through that process. What does that, if for someone who wants to get into um, interval training, for instance, because we know that's a very good way to to break into fat stores and it's a very effective way to to burn calories and burn fat. I think I'm kind of getting off the topic a little bit, but when people always ask me, which one's better? Well, if you're doing long bouts of cardio versus uh, interval training, with long bouts of cardio, you will eventually get what you get from sprint training. It's going to take you longer. I mean, that's kind of why it's it's not like one is better than the other. It's about efficiency. It's just like any other kind of workout. What is more efficient in this process, and what are your goals, and how do you apply that efficiency to your goals? So how, walk us through how you set someone up in a sprinting program, a beginner. Well, for any beginner, and, and again, I will um... – you know, go back to this idea of rehab where uh, if somebody pulls a hamstring, ultimately we're trying to get them back to sprinting. So if we're trying to get them back to sprinting, uh, we have to sprint or we have to do building blocks that get them to that point. So, uh, in, and I'll get back to the fitness analogy, but um, the first thing we do is can you, you know, march? Can you do uh, high knee march? And they call it, uh, these are the mock drills uh, developed by a, a Canadian Polish sprint coach, but can you do a march? Can you lift the knee up? Can you put it down? Can you coordinate your arms? And the next stage would be a skip and then a running motion, running high knee motion. And the whole idea is these exercises aren't necessarily replicating running, but they're activating muscle groups that are involved in running, whether it's, you know, the flexion of bringing the knee up at the hip, the flexion at the hip, bringing the knee up, uh, flexion at the knee. And when you put it down, extension of those joints, so extension of the hip, extension of the knee, uh, down to the ankle. And so by doing marching drills, skipping drills, and running drills, we're actually strengthening somebody to run in a very safe manner. Uh, and if you're in a facility that doesn't have a long area to sprint, uh, you know, like 50, 40, 50 meters or yards to sprint, I can do this in a very enclosed area if I have about 10 yards from wall to wall and I can work on these things before we move on to actual running and I I know a lot of people want to get to running right away because you know if you're a coach and and, and people the expectation is you're going to get them to run they want to run but again we have to work backwards just like any sort of you know Olympic weightlifting you have to break things down and provide them with the skills to make that a worthwhile endeavor uh, and the same goes for sprinting. So doing these drills where you're marching, skipping, running um, is going to build all of the necessary hardware and software that's going to allow you to sprint eventually. And this this is across the board. And some people say, well, 
you know, um, I don't really use drills. I just get people to run. And that's fine too. But I've just found from my personal experience of starting them with the drills, and you could argue that they're technique drills. They may not be, but they are strengthening drills to help somebody uh, foundationally have the basics to run. So that's usually where I start. Can you march? But but I'll go back and say this is exactly what we do in rehab cases, ACL, hamstring, ankle, and we've done it in the pool too. Can you do these drills in the pool in a supported environment? And maybe that's where you start a client. Yeah. You do all the running drills in the pool where it's a little more buoyant and there's less stress. But that's the building blocks that I start with before we get to accelerating and running at higher speeds. And I've had very you know, successful efforts doing that with uh, people who want to run long distance. So working on these drills and working on uh, basic mechanics and strengthening that transfer very well to people who want to run a 10K or ultimately a marathon. So all of those things that you mentioned, uh, that coincides directly with like a sound strength, strength and conditioning program. For, yes. on, on both sides. I mean, you can do you know, your, as you're developing your um, mobility in the framework for sprinting, the strength training behind it and all the movement patterns that you're building, that's going to help you become more streamlined. Um, so let's, let's break into, you know, you, you got somebody sprinting and they're really wanting to progress. Describe a little bit more about how you would design a sprinting program or a cardio program for someone who has been exercising for a while, but they want to incorporate that cardio for weight loss specific. Um, I think uh, I, I typically operate on what would be called kind of a short to long philosophy. So we work on improving things over short distances, and it could be as short as 10 yards, uh, 20 yards, 30 yards, and, and just teaching them to accelerate. Because all of those things, when once they're in place, you know, feed forward to longer distances. Whereas if I get somebody just to start running on a treadmill and doing long and long bouts of cardio, I don't have that same transfer back. I don't get any benefit in terms of speed from doing long distance. I don't get a benefit in terms of technique and to, to do long distance or to do to, that feeds back to sprinting, right. but it works well in the other direction. So why not start with shorter distances at higher velocities? And then I know it's going to have a positive effect for any other longer distance cardio they do. But once those built, once those technical building blocks are in place, then I can do intervals over, you know, anywhere again from 30 yards out to a hundred yards or 200 yards. Or if we go find a nice hill or incline, we can do repeat accelerations or sprints up the hill with a walk back, sometimes a jog back, and it's just much more efficient. I know uh, myself, this is, you know, I used to do longer runs, and, you know, I'm getting older here too. I'm, I'm, I'm what you would call middle aged, but if I go and do a long run, I just don't feel that good afterwards and, and for the rest of the day. Like, I feel like I've accomplished something, I've put in some effort, and it's great. Um, but when I do the sprinting, I feel energized. I feel like I've advanced myself more and not, and quite honestly, I, I, I don't feel like I'm tiring myself out. And I think everybody wants to have this feeling of like, oh, I had a really good workout and yeah. my whole body's tired and sore and we won't get into, you know, certain fitness craze, but that's, <laughs> that's the tangible effect that people seem to want. And I don't know if that's a you know that's an innate thing or evolutionary thing where we feel like we've put in this hard work, but it's not necessarily indicative of a good workout. It's, right. It in some cases it might be exactly the opposite. So if you get people to do interval training or sprints, and there's a quality component to it, and you're not your objective is to not exhaust them within that workout, but to get good technique um, and maybe some higher velocities than they're used to. That's a win-win in my opinion. So that's that's where I'm trying to move people towards. And then if they want to go do the longer cardio, there's benefits that transfer to that. So again, I'm not knocking long-distance running or cardio. I'm just saying I think there's a lot of people out there who would benefit from doing something a little more interval-based yes. uh, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I actually had this conversation this afternoon with someone. He asked me about cardio and, you know, why don't we do more cardio? And I kind of looked at him and I, I thought about it for a second. I'm like, well, you know, define, let's define cardio first. 
And I broke it down to what is your heart? Your heart's a muscle. How are we training your muscles? Here's how we're training, like, just keep it simple, a bicep, right? We do an exercise. We keep it controlled. We elevate your heart rate. We're keeping your heart rate up, so we're kind of fatiguing, like to translate back to the bicep, we're fatiguing that muscle, and then we're letting it rest, and then we're going to come back around and do another set, and then we're going to exhaust it again and then rest. And I kind of correlated that to because we're, we didn't we didn't touch a cardio machine, but by the end of the strength workout, his heart's thumping and pumping, right? Pumping blood all over the place. So you're getting a cardiovascular workout without hopping on a treadmill or an elliptical. So I think it's important for people to, to define what they're trying to get out of the cardiovascular exercise. Because it's not like he did not get a cardiovascular exercise out of it because he had to catch his breath, right? We're moving fast from, from exercise to exercise. But it's different than hopping on and trying to get a cardiovascular workout, you know, from a, an endurance standpoint. So there's definite benefits to both sides, but I think people have to be cleared about what they want to get out of the cardio workout. Um, yeah, and and there's there's other reasons to switch people to uh, this other approach, which I would consider more of a low volume approach. But I guess the intensity is higher. Is that yeah. I know people who are long distance runners. Um, and they just didn't have the skeletal sort of makeup to be conducive to doing long distance. And they've had issues with whatever they've had to have knee replacement, hip replacement, because it just, they were forcing themselves to do something that maybe their body wasn't set up for. Um, and, and, you know, we're motivated by, you know, what we hear societally, like, oh, long mm-hmm. distance running is great and, and you'll be fit and, um, and it's not necessarily one size fits all. So there are alternatives that are just as useful and maybe more applicable to individuals than just, you know, let's run until we're tired. Right. Yeah. I mean, it goes across the board for everything. You're going to have some people who adapt way better to interval training and then some people who adapt better to long distance. All right. That, those, those are different variables. Again, it goes back to what's the, the majority testing it out for and seeing what works, but give it a, give it a valiant effort and a try and make sure you're not doing it for a week and then you give up on it because you're not seeing the results that you want. You know, <laughs> I'm sure you deal with that also. Um, I do too. So let's go back to uh, programming wise. You know, a lot of people will ask me, well, what what should my interval be like? And I always kind of depending on their fitness level, I like to go to a like a thirty twenty type. Uh, you know, if you're someone who's getting on the upper end of being very fit, 30 seconds on, 20 seconds off, or maybe like a 30-15 or a 20-10 work to rest ratio. Do you have like a, for weight loss um, purposes, Do you is there like a quote-unquote magic number? You know what? I take that back. That's stupid. I can't even believe I said that. That's so dumb. I can't believe I said there's no such thing as magic anything. Do you, do you would you suggest a, a certain work to rest ratio for someone? Well, I think when they're starting out, um, some of the, the ratios that you suggested are probably more workable just because they may not have the, uh, the technique in place or the speed or the intense, they can't apply the intensity to get a, a good return. So doing something where you're the amount of work you do 30 seconds versus 20 seconds rest may be more, um, sort of applicable because uh, if their output's not that high, then you have to work them a little more on the work side. However, if you get somebody to a point where they can really hammer out a good sprint, um, that's going to shift now. So if they do a 15-second sprint or a 20-second sprint, now you may have to give them 40 seconds or, or, you know, uh, it may be more in favor of the recovery side to maintain the quality of the next sprint and the Uh next sprint and the next sprint. So if you look at it and flip it in terms of I want to get some higher velocities, which are going to have a a longer-term, more favorable metabolic impact, and so you're not necessarily getting the fat loss benefit from the run at the time of the run, but it's going to be you're working at a higher level of output. So when you finish the workout, your body's requiring energy to recover for the rest of the day. So that that's kind of a, a paradigm shift for some people where it's like, what do you mean? I'm not, you know, because you can jump on a treadmill and, you know, it'll record your heart rate and the miles and you get, I always, I always find it interesting when I get on a bike or a treadmill and it says, oh, you burned, I worked my butt off and you burned 200 calories. I'm like, that's not even a hamburger or whatever, <laughs> right? So, but if the intensity was high, I'm going to be burning that off 
once I step off the bike or the treadmill because I've worked at a higher velocity and now my body is recovering, uh, whether it's from a tissue point of view or just the circulation to help me recover is kicked in. So I think people have to look at it two ways. And I think you could do both approaches. You could do one day, which is more in favor of the work versus the recovery. And then another day can be higher quality. And this, this goes back to kind of a, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a, a two-pronged approach of one day I'm going to work on speed and strength and then the next day I'm going to work more on I would say conventional cardio and your intervals could reflect that um, yeah. so flipping back and forth is probably more beneficial than just saying I'm going to do all my intervals at this this work to rest ratio because our body will again habituate very easily and, and settle in whereas if we emphasize some of the speed and some of the performance output on, on on other days, I think your body will respond more readily, and and you'll get you know these body composition effects we're looking for. Yeah, so focusing on your form based for a shorter amount of time and recovery based for a little bit longer is going to be more beneficial overall because you're putting out more quality uh, force, more quality. Output. Yeah, like Definitely. I'll I'll give you an example. Like when I do presentations for football. I'll say like, well, what's better? Like, would you rather do 10 40-yard dashes with one-minute breaks? So a 40-yard dash is obviously four to five seconds. So you're doing 10 40-yard dashes and you walk back and do another one with a one-minute break. And, and you know, I've done these tests in the first one. If somebody runs a 4-4 for the first one, if they run back, walk back and do another one, it's probably going to be 4-4-5 or 4-5. And then it keeps going up over those 10 reps by the time you do the 10th one, you might be at 4 or 9 because you're exhausted and you haven't recovered. So the, the gross average of doing that was probably about 4 or 7. And I said, wouldn't you rather do 5 sprints with 5-minute breaks and you've kept your time between or underneath 4 or 5? So now your average is under 4 or 5. And people have a tough time grasping that like, wow, I had 4 reps under 4 or 5 when I've only had 2 reps in this other model under 4 or 5. And so what's better, doing more and having a lousier result or doing less and having, you know, a really good result? And I think people have to just flip their minds a bit and go, hey, I can do less at a higher quality and get a better benefit. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, it's all about the quality of work and the quality of effort, just like any other exercise. So if people put put it in focusing on um, on the quality versus the quantity, I think that's huge. Um, yep. So let, let's go directly to to hamstring rehab since that seems to be a, a good part of your knowledge base also. Explain a little bit because that's, you know, staying healthy while sprinting and doing those exercises is going to be huge to make progress. Give you have any tips for uh, someone just starting like a sprinting program or cardio program that could keep their legs and their limbs healthy? I think it goes back to that original concept we talked about is technically you know, certain things have to be in place in terms of how you run, your running technique, and that's going to set the course for a more successful training program. Now, when somebody's starting a sprinting program, the last thing you want to do is, you know, go out there and just start sprinting as hard as you can because, again, the, the, the building blocks are not in place for you to do that successfully. And, and again, we'll see that when somebody, you know, you know, in their 30s or 40s gets invited to go play touch football with the guys and he hasn't sprinted and it ends up everybody pulls their hamstring and they all laugh it off with a beer afterwards. But, <laughs> you know, the, their specific preparation was not in place to allow them to do that. So when I start people off, uh, especially novices or people who haven't trained for a while, we'll do the drills that I talked about, but then we'll do accelerations and we'll cap the intensity. So I might say, instead of going 100% over 30 yards or 20 yards, let's do a couple at maybe 75 to 80% and just you know get your body to adapt gradually to moving a bit faster. Because guess what? When you jog... Um, or go for a longer run, you're probably working at you know 50% or less of your top velocity. So even if I edge you up to 70 or 75% in these shorter accelerations, we're now working at a higher velocity that's going to condition the muscles that you need to ultimately sprint faster. So that's that's a big part of it is getting not only the tissues ready for higher velocity sprinting, but also the brain because the br- sprinting is a coordinated effort. It's right. about turning things on at the right time, but also turning certain muscle groups off. It's cyclical. So at some point in the stride cycle, you're going to be activating more quads. Uh, in some point, 
you're going to be activating more hamstrings, but you don't want the quads interfering with the hamstrings or vice versa at certain parts of the stride cycle. So we have to train this gradually. And that's what happens in, in hamstring rehab is that think of somebody pulling a hamstring as like a crash of the system. Now, the, you know, the computer's frozen up and now we've lost intramuscular coordination and the ability to turn things on and off in the right sequence. So I have to go back now as part of the hamstring rehab and I have to train them to sprint again and, and, and teach them to turn the right muscles on at the right time. But that, that involves sprinting at a low, like we do as part of our rehab program, we do 10-yard sprints at submaximal, so maybe 70% to start. And then you walk back and you do another one. We do 10 sets of 10. And we might do three, three or four groupings of that in the first session. But we are essentially teaching them how to sprint again at low intensities. And this would be the same approach for a beginner. So if you, if you were a, a personal trainer and you wanted to get somebody to sprint, maybe I would do the same approach. We'll do three sets of 10 by 10. So 10 sprints over 10 yards mm. at a reduced intensity. Maybe you pick it an arbitrary 60 or 70% and you just watch them and they do a sprint. And we and actually we would do them back and forth. So I would set up a cone in the middle. So a cone to 10, they decelerate, they turn around and they do a sprint back for our hamstring rehab. And they just keep going back and forth till they have 10 total sprints. And then we give them a recovery. But that's a perfect way to start somebody who's a beginner is just get used to accelerating. And this is no different than what I do for NFL teams when you have guys coming back to training camp and you're, you're asking yourself, well, did they train in the offseason on their own before they came back? And the question would be, well, what do I do now? Because I want them to sprint, but I don't want people to hurt themselves because I don't know if they've actually trained. So I use the same approach. Let's go short distances. Let's cap the intensity. And let's get guys accelerating to a point where there's going to be a positive benefit, but we're not going to put people at risk. So that's, that's essentially it. Short distance, cap the intensity, get some repetitions in, and then reevaluate after that session. Makes total sense on that level too, because you're again you're kind of focusing on that uh, uh, max output and versus you know what they what they were doing, and you're just recalibrating and trying to bring them back to full potential. Absolutely. What kind of let's talk a little bit so people can understand about the mechanics and the physiology. Maybe we should have brought this up earlier, but uh, do a, just a quick breakdown of of the muscles that are being worked during a sprint and how and what kind of uh, strength exercises can be done to improve those muscles? Yeah, there's different um, phases within a sprint. And obviously, you have to start and you have to push off of being from a static position. So whether it's starting blocks or just, you know, from a standing start, people have to move their body forward. And that's going to take more what I would call um, strength to get somebody moving or power to get somebody moving. And then you accelerate and in this start and acceleration phase, it's going to be more quad dominant and more, I would say, quad and glute dominant where you're hitting the ground and you hit the ground with your knee bent more. Once you get up to top speed, your hip should rise up. And when you strike the ground, you're going to strike more below your center of mass with a straight leg. And that's where the hamstring is more involved. So it's almost, you have to think of it like gears in a manual transmission, like first gear, second gear, third gear. And that's kind of how a sprint happens too. You're going to have to move a little more mass or move some mass at the beginning and overcome your inertia. So you need a different gear, which is going to be more quad, calf, and glute dominant. When you get up to speed, it's now a bigger gear that you're turning. And now you're going to have a longer lever with a straight leg landing underneath, which is going to be more hamstring dominant. And so all of these things have to be kind of built in as part of your, your, your process, which is why this short to long approach works very well, where we start people off over short distances, 10 yards, 20 yards, and we develop, you know, the acceleration muscles. And then as they, which, which still involves the hamstring, but to a lesser right. degree. Uh, but then when you get up to longer distances out to 30, 40, 50 yards, you know, out to 100 meters, the hamstring becomes much more important. And then, you know, we've kind of, you know, gradually progressed to where that hamstring is being strengthened through the running itself. Now, as you know, you're going to be doing uh, all these ancillary exercises, whether it's squatting or, you know, lifting weights or other things you can do to help build all those areas too. It's just sprinting now works it in a coordinated fashion. So 
I'm always a big proponent of telling people you always have to sprint. You can't go to the weight room and work for six weeks and then come back and sprint and hope that you're faster because you've gotten stronger in the weight room. It has to be an integrated approach. It has to be defined that you're trying – if you're getting – want to get better at one thing, you have to do that one thing. That goes yeah. across the board with any any sport. So everything that you do in the weight room should directly affect what you do on the track, the field, uh, the court. I mean everything kind of works together. And that's what I try to explain to – some of my runners, Cincinnati has a, a very large running population and you know, I train a lot of those people and endurance athletes in general because they're so focused on just doing the activity and it's all, which is what they should. They should definitely focus on that. But another piece that needs to be the strength, the rehab, the prehab, um, all of those things to benefit what your actual, what your actual goal is. Defining, I want to be a better sprinter. I want to be a better cyclist, better football player, better you know, thrower, whatever it is, everything in the weight room should just enhance what you're doing on the outside. So it's hard for me to really pull people in on uh, the running side that, that doing a, um, a squat or a deadlift or a leg extension, you know, any kind of leg exercise because they're so worried about that. It's going to hinder the process of them becoming a better runner. So one of my biggest things is just, you know, you start off slow with one or two sets uh, which is, I usually don't go over two sets anyway, try to get the max output out of one or two sets and then move on. But just baby steps into it. <laughs> it doesn't have to be this, you know, monster workout where we're going to hammer your legs and you're not going to be able to run for three days afterwards, but being progressive about it and being smart about it and, and learning about their long distance days versus their short days. Because all of that makes a difference when you're strength training, you know, two to three days a week. If you've got a long day going up, we're going to do things a little differently than if you have you know a shorter day coming up or if you're doing um sprint work coming up so all those things are to you should take all of those things into consideration when building a program yeah uh, and i like i like using car analogies a lot so if you're discussing why we're in the weight room it could be well we're just we're trying to add more horsepower to the engine now we still have to make sure the spark plugs are firing properly and that the tires are rotated properly and aligned and the suspension and all that and the driver has to be you know up to speed on certain things but yeah i mean they just have to understand how it all fits in right and another thing i like to focus is you know they say when people tell me well, i i don't need to train my legs because i run I'm like well i i get where you're going with that but there's I always ask them like what what makes your what makes your limbs move the way they do? And I just as elementary as I possibly can, like you've got bones, you've got muscle, you've all this other tissue. If we can strengthen all of that other tissue, of course you're gonna be able to move better and faster and and work better. And that, that kind of makes me think like, oh yeah, you know, if I do become stronger in my legs and and combine both my training for running and training inside of the gym, of course, I'm going to be able to move better, perform better uh, in the long run. But hitting that home right off the bat is very, very difficult, I find. Um, even people that I've been training for that, like, for instance, I have one lady who is an amazing runner. And when it comes time for her to really train and focus on running, she she just sends me a message and she'll say, hey, I'm done strength training for now. And I'm just like, oh, no, like this. <laughs> You know, this is this is where it really should count. You know, this is where everything should come into fruition for you and really make sense for it. But it's just it's hard to get through to some people. Uh, and then I see her running and she comes in and she's injured. You know, and I'm yep. like, hey, here's where we got to back off. And now we have to start almost from scratch in the weight room. And uh, and it breaks my heart to see her try to struggle through and try to to work through injuries constantly. But um, and I'm sure you see that on on all levels right from yeah people are very stubborn and, yeah. and and have a fixed idea of what they need to do and 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 i think the only thing you can do is try to keep educating them and 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 rather than throwing out the weight the strength training you could say look we can modify the amount right. we do and but i still think it's valuable to keep it into your program mm -hmm. uh for for these reasons and um, obviously there's going to be some trial and error where they have to actually fail and hit rock bottom a few yep. times before they go, okay, yeah, now I'll start listening to you. But, yeah. um, that's human nature, right? I think so. And I think a run, you know, maybe, maybe some other coaches and, and personal trainers can take this, but 
I usually, if, if someone, if a endurance athlete in particular is coming up for a race and then they really start to, maybe you might see this a little more on the general population side, like who I'm dealing with, but people will really become very hesitant. They'll make cut back in their training. Um, and I'll just tell people like, Hey, you know, still come to the gym. You're two to three times a week. We'll back off of the weight and we'll just do some body weight exercises. You know, we won't try to smoke the legs and just yep. to get that mental reassurance that when they come in, they're not going to be leg pressing 400 pounds like they were a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. That, that I think really goes a long way because first of all, you get that client retention, which is huge. You build rapport, um, and you still keep them on the right track. And then of course, you know, you sprinkle in some, uh, maybe some therapy exercises and some, uh, foam rolling and things like that along the way added extra value and conditioning. Cause depending on how much they're doing on the outside, if they're not doing it on the outside, then you can reassure them that, Hey, if you're not doing this on your, uh, running days, we're definitely going to do these X, Y, and Z exercises when you come and see me. So it's all yeah, about that's... meeting the person where they are, I think is also really big. I've been learning more and more about that meeting the person right where they are in the situation they are. That's a great point. And I think a lot of the time we get so tied to certain methods of exercise and, yeah. and an approach and we're like, oh, we got to stick to this. And it's so easy just to go, well, there's an alternative approach we can do and it's more congruent to what they feel they need at this time. And, and, and it's not like you're, um, you're kind of giving in, but right. you're just adapting to their specific circumstances, like you said. And, and we all have to learn that, whether it's... Uh, um, whether it's when you're in a relationship with somebody and you got to compromise a bit or you have kids and now you got to devote more time to them. It's, 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 it's generally, uh, you know, a philosophical approach that we have to adopt, right? We have to adapt. Yeah. It's, you know, that's what, that's what I'm figuring out in everything. It's all part of it. You know? Definitely. And I, and I'm, you know, five, maybe, maybe more, especially when I was first starting out in the business, I was so on board with, if a person's coming to me as a professional, then they're going to do exactly what I say. There's no questions asked. And as I progressed, you know, I started learning like, man, if you have that, you're, well, first of all, you're, you're going to lose every single person you work with. You know, you, yeah. you have to be flexible. You have to be able to mold with the person and still, and still reassure them that what you're doing for them is beneficial. And if you're, if you're not flexible, you're not willing to, we, willing to meet the person where they are and, uh, and still show them value and progress, then, you know, you're, well, you're not going to have any business, number one. And number two, it's going to be a long, hard road for both of you. And I think, uh, I learned that day to day. I mean, there's some people that need a little more explanation than others. And, um, and I think that really reflects onto, to me as a coach and as a, as a personal trainer, I get to step back and say, okay, I know this person's going to need a little more direction. Let's see how they're feeling today. Let's see, are we going to do more warm up today? Are we doing more cool down? Like what, where can I meet this person rather than saying, Oh, you're here. Okay. It's time to do your workout. I don't care how you're feeling. Cause I think a lot of people see trainers as that drill sergeant or a coach as that drill sergeant. And, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way. So no. And, and I've, I've interviewed some people on my own podcast who, uh, were involved in the military and special forces and, they have come to the same conclusions. Yes, obviously you have to push people and, and you have to test them on occasion, but you're not driving people into the ground um, because that's unproductive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and you just want people to, to maintain where they are and slowly progress. So, And by driving people to the ground all the time, that's just that's not beneficial for both of you. It might, it might, make, feel, might make, make the coach feel like a badass, Mm-hmm. But that's not helping. That's not helping the athlete or the client at all. So, but um, Derek, I think we hit on a lot of key topics, and I think a lot of people are going to get some good information out of this and how to program appropriately for for what they're trying to accomplish. So, any any other tips or advice that you give somebody starting a a, a sprinting regiment? I, I think um, just to get get familiar with some of the technical requirements. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to work on that myself in terms of providing people with resources. And, um, you know, uh, I think if we give people, again, we give people the means to kind of help themselves, it's, it's going to be much better for them. Um, and once they have these basic technical building blocks, then, um, 
you know, the sky's the limit in terms of how hard they can push themselves. And, and uh, I'm, I'm all about self-sufficiency. Yep. And uh, that doesn't mean you, you, you don't have to have a, a trainer to help guide the process, but people should have a working knowledge of what's required of everything they're doing. And then it's easier to have discussions with, with you. Like if you're my trainer, then I can say like, hey, what do you think of this? You know, I've been reading up on this and, you know, it's a better discussion rather than just not having an open mind and, and being, you know, a little bit ignorant about what's involved. So I think uh, the more people can kind of read up or even just watch, go on YouTube, watch people at a high level run and sprint. And, you know, visually you'll start to get a sense of what it should look like. And, and then the other part of it is, Get somebody to video you. I mean, it's so easy to video now. Video you at high, you know, at regular speed, at slow motion, and just watch what's going on. And and you know, as a, my, one of my mentors used to say, is like, if it looks right, if it'll fly right, right. So yep. we all have an intuitive sense of what it should look like. And so give yourself some credit and 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 kind of review what you're doing. Great advice. Great advice. All right. Again, thanks for your time, Derek. And if people want to get a hold of you, I'll link all of your uh, social media and your website to the podcast notes. That's great. Thank you, Eric, for this opportunity. And yeah, if people need to reach out and get some more advice, please do. I'm 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 kind of working towards some resources where I can help. Whether it's you know working with uh, youth athletes and teaching them the proper sprint mechanics or uh, even the older population or you know people who want to uh, have the the ability to sprint as part of their general health and wellness program. I think you just uh, kind of hinted at another podcast. <laughs> Potentially, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like you said, it's not it's we're not going to change people just through one nope. specific conversation. It's going to be a, an effort over time. On, ongoing uh, candor. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> that was cheesy. All right. <laughs> All right, I appreciate you, Coach. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Eric. Take care.